great to be back with another ARM Viewpoints podcast. Today, we have a topic that's near and dear to my heart, and one that I've been passionate about for more than 40 years, the power of software. Over the past four decades, software has gone from being a very limited set of tools and applications used on mainframes, mini computers, and PCs, to being something that powers our everyday lives, from the morning alarm clocks on our smartphones, to the software that controls our heating and lighting systems, to the safety systems that help us stay safe and on track in our cars. Joining me today to talk about all this is Mark Hamilton, Vice President of Open Source Software at ARM. We'll talk about the software-defined future, ARM's role in building that future, and the latest exciting developments in the world of software. We'll also talk about the upcoming ARM Dev Summit event and why it's a must-attend for the world's software developers. So let me get things started by introducing Mark. Mark is an open source software industry veteran with more than two decades of experience in open source. He's been with ARM since 2014, and shortly after that took over leading the open source software group. He leads the system software that drives ARM's leadership role in open source. He's also responsible for the software engineering relationship with Lenaro. Prior to joining ARM, Mark was member of the Lenaro Technical Steering Committee representing Broadcom. And prior to Broadcom, Mark was the head of core systems and a distinguished architect at Nokia in their smart devices group. We're lucky to have him here today. Welcome, Mark. Thanks, Jeff. Good to meet you. So let's get started by uh, getting to know you a little bit more, Mark. I have a few quick questions to help us do that. So let's start by having you name one technology you couldn't live without. That's a really interesting one. Um, for me, it's got to be streaming TV. Um, that's, uh, you know, I've, I've got a, um, a small family. I've got a 10-year-old daughter. Um, and for us, um, streaming TV just gives you what you want to watch when you want to watch it. It's kind of an essential gap filler. Um, so, yeah, that's the essential one for me. Okay, now, now we're going to turn to what happens when you're having lunch, dinner, breakfast, whatever it is. I'm going to ask you to fill in the blank. I'm happiest when I've just eaten. I'd say it's the roast dinner on a Sunday evening, right? Um, the whole family sitting down and doing that traditional thing, not at lunchtime in the evening. Uh, everybody likes it. It's kind of a an occasion. We make a bit of a fuss about it. So for me, that's the... That's the, the, the thing that we all look forward to each week. So if you won the lottery and price was no object, what would you like to buy? That's a really good question. Um, to be honest, I don't really know. Um, it, it, it's not something I, I'm not really driven by purchases these days. Um, I'd probably retire um, and spend my time traveling and scuba diving. Um, but there isn't really one of those purchases that's actually available yet. If you fast forward about five years, what I'd really like is a fully road legal, fully autonomous car with no steering wheel, right? Something that I never have to drive. I just get in it and it takes me where I need to go and I can do whatever I want rather than having to drive. I used to love driving, but there are too many cars on the road with too many people doing crazy things. Autonomous cars cannot come soon enough for me. You just can't buy one today. So if I won the lottery, I wouldn't spend the money. I'd wait until one of these things exists and I'd buy one of those and that would make me happy, very happy. 
So tell me about your um, history with technology. Uh, why and how did you first get into technology? Um, so I guess back in the mid-1980s, um, my family um, had a Commodore VIC-20 as our first computer, which was relatively quickly upgraded to the BBC Model B, um, where we spent, um, I'm going to say we spent a lot of our time writing software for the BBC Model B because we were model citizens. But we did what everybody else did, playing Elite, BMX on the Moon, um, Frack, and all that sort of stuff, right? Um, games on computers was really the first thing with technology. Um, but we, we, um, my brother and I won a, um, a competition to get a, a teletext adapter, a Prestel modem, so we could actually get online um, in, a, in very early incarnations of the internet and muck about with things online. So. So that was um, that was kind of the you know, computers grabbing your attention, but then also sucking you into the wider world where computers were connected to each other. And, and I think that's what really drove my I'm going to go into electronics. Um, and then, you know, after the degree, I figured out that software was way easier than hardware. So that's where I was going to go. So you, did you have that experience of typing in long games listings? and uh, being being frustrated with, uh, okay, you've spent an hour typing it in and just one line doesn't work. Um, we didn't really do very much of that, or I didn't. Uh, what we were doing was um, uh, hardware designs for things like speech synthesis, synthesis units, and then programming that to say things that your mother wouldn't approve of. And then, and then blaming it on the computer, right? Because they, she didn't know that it was us telling the computer what to say. So, um, so it was for me. It was more. Um, it was always low-level plumbing that got me going to start off with, uh, rather than typing something that somebody else had written. That that seemed like something that floppy disks had been invented for, not printed media. So, so what do you love most about technology? There are some things that I. I dislike about it um, much more passionately than I would say I love about it. Um, technology is quite invasive into every part of our life, in, uh, every part of our lives, and and I find that there are some there are irritating pieces of technology that I can't remove from my life easily. But then there are some really cool bits of technology that come along and just make your life so much easier. Um, this is going to sound a little bit weird, but one of my favourite devices at the moment is an automatic lawn robot that goes and mows the grass in the, in the yard. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it has its problems. It, it, it gets tripped over by um, apples that fall off the apple tree and the foxes in the garden dig holes that it falls into. Um, so it's a bit of a game, but it saves me, you know, a lot of time because I don't have to go and mow the lawn. So I love that piece of technology um, a lot. And then, of course, there's the smartphone. I mean, I, I worked for Nokia for eight years, um, at Nokia and Symbian for eight years uh, before coming to ARM. And you know, just seeing how the smartphone has progressed since those early days you know, with, with Symbian OS and just how much it enables in our daily life. You don't need to take your wallet with you anymore because you can use your phone to pay. That's a really that's a really great innovation which you know i can even see rooted back in the days of nokia the whole nfc technology that's used 
was being developed by those guys uh, 15, 16 years ago, if my memory serves me. So there's a bunch, there's a bunch of things, but it's, it, it's kind of a, there's a love hate technology relationship for me because just because it's everywhere now and it's become complex. So not everybody can understand how to use it. So if you've got a, a small amount of understanding, you suddenly have everybody asking you to fix their computer because you're a software person. What about uh, ARM specifically? Uh, what do you love most about uh, ARM? I mean, that's a really easy one to answer. Um, the breadth of technology um, that ARM is embedded in and, and ARM is the foundation for is it's not matched by anywhere else in the industry. Right, that my role is great because there are software engineers in part of the team that I lead that are working in every sec every technology sector that you can imagine. And so we are thinking about basically every everything where compute happens. Um, and I can't think of another company on the planet where you can say that, where you can say you have a hand in anything where compute happens. So um, given that, uh, maybe we can just kind of switch to talk a little bit about ARM and, and tell me about what's the big thing you and your team are working on at the moment. One, so I guess the thing that's at front of mind at the moment is um, there's a lot of new innovations happening in the ARM architecture to support um, machine learning, AI, computer vision, all that sort of stuff. Um, basically, new um, extensions to the instruction set to enable scientific mathematics um, in support of, of those things that you want to do. Um, but the biggest challenge that software developers have got is that they don't want to know about the low level mechanics of the instruction set. They want to just be able to make use of a common set of APIs and underneath those APIs, they just use the most appropriate piece of hardware to perform the function that they want, um, that, you know, that, that they're um, calling. And so my team at the moment is basically trying to figure out all of the places that application developers, sorry, all of the libraries that application developers use for scientific maths, and then to figure out if those libraries have actually got the right architecture support in them for existing IP that's um, so, so existing instruction set extensions that are in the market like NEON and SVE, the scalable vector extensions, and then new extensions that we're working on, you know, where do we have to surgically um, enhance those libraries? And then how do we make the application developer aware that we've done that so they can go and pick up the changes that we've got and get optimal performance out of the hardware that we're running on? Well, that sounds like a cue to talk about uh, a place where a whole bunch of developers could get together and talk about um, ideas and, and uh, ways of working uh, better together. So I want to switch gears and talk about the upcoming ARM Dev Summit, which sounds like something no self-respecting developer will want to miss. Um, tell us what it is and why you think it's important. So Dev Summit's our, our annual um, developer conference. Um, it's a very very broad set of workshops, masterclasses, presentations. Um, there's about there's over 150 different ones in various different um, tracks that talk about basically they, they talk to the 
entire breadth of the ARM ecosystem and software um, that's developed by that ecosystem. So there's, um, there's also um, a few keynotes where we can explain where ARM is going, where ARM's positions, you know, up and coming things that people need to be aware of. But it's, um, it's one of those events where there's something for everyone. Not, not everything that's on the ticket will be immediately applicable for every developer because developers have um, a, a certain set of interests, but there'll be, there'll be topics that are of particular interest to a certain type of developer um, across the entire spectrum where ARM enables compute. So maybe we can kind of talk a bit more about some of the tracks that people uh, will see on the list, on the agenda for Dev Summit. Um, maybe you can tell me a bit about what you think are the highlights and also uh, why those were selected. Yeah, so I um, actually was looking at the, um, the list of sessions just before, um, just before we, uh, we recorded this. Um, and I, um, I run the open source software team, so I'm going to say something partway through this where you'll probably say, hang on a minute, you said open source. But there were three that really um, stood out to me. Um, first one, um, I'm going to plug an ARM session because that's what we should be doing. Um, introducing System Ready IR uh, by John Thompson from ARM. Um, System Ready IR is actually really important, um, a really important component of the whole software defined world that we're going to be talking about. Uh, at Dev Summit, and I think John will give us a a really good introduction into what that um, uh, what that system ready profile actually enables. But then my second one um, was uh, creating and debugging your first Windows on ARM application, um, and it's a, it's a talk by Marcus Perryman um, from Microsoft. Um, this isn't just about open source. Dev Summit covers all of the um, op um, operating systems, all of the software franchises that work on ARM. And Windows on ARM is actually a really important software ecosystem for us. Um, I'm talking to you today using a Windows on ARM laptop, which I use as my primary device. Um, so that's going to be interesting for a bunch of people that weren't aware that it's becoming a big thing. Um, and you know, will help people understand what they need to do to port applications that are um, uh, um, originally designed for different architectures. And then, um, you know, the um, my my answer to the what I would buy question in five years' time, I want a fully autonomous vehicle. Um, Jack Hancock from Siemens is talking about safety islands in a mixed safety critical heterogeneous architecture that there's going to be a, a change in the style of computing an autonomous car and there's a number of there are a number of talks at dev summit around the changes that we're going to go through and i just picked that one out because uh, i think that's going to be an interesting one that i can't wait to see well that's interesting i i, I was looking at the schedule myself and i, I thought you were going to pick on the uh, software defined vehicle for autonomous driving um, and Casper uh, Ornstein uh, Mecklenburg's talk, uh, along yeah. with some of the partners, because um, th that re looks really exciting to me and gets you to, to what you were um, saying that you would buy if money was no object. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that whole autonomous um, software-defined vehicle track, I think, is going to be 
really interesting with a ton of good um, good content, some thought-provoking stuff happening there. Yeah, the other one that caught my eye was uh, the session on uh, ray tracing um, and more on the Immortalis G715. Uh, we talked about that in a recent episode, but uh, I think that that's really exciting because uh, I think you know that, that's an area where um, there's been a lot of development uh, over the last number of years, but you know, going back to your early experience with hardware development, sometimes the hardware hasn't kept pace with uh, the software, and, and uh, uh, Immortalis looks to me like there's something that could really be, um, if you'll forgive the pun, uh, a game changer. Yeah, I mean, the, um, I think it's the first um, ray tracing implementation in a, in a, um, designed specifically for mobile devices. So um, within the power budget that you need um, in a handset. So that really could uh, be a game changer in the, um, in the mobile space for, around, um, uh, for SOCs that are based on the Immortalis GPUs. So that looks really, really interesting, as you say. Yeah, and there's this guy, Mark Hamilton, that's doing a keynote, and he's going to be talking about software-defined future. Now, I know you don't want to give too much away, but maybe you can just tell, it's just us. Maybe you can just give us a little bit of a preview uh, of what you might want to say, and also what software-defined means to you. Yeah, happy to. Um, I can actually tell you a little bit of a story um, on this one as well, because um, it would be would be about seven years ago um, that I sat down with a couple of my colleagues um, in ARM um, and we wrote a, a really weird slide deck where we were we were just trying to um, vision cast for the future and we said um, wouldn't it be great if you can decide that there's a problem to solve figure out how you're going to solve it write some software choose the operating system that you think you're going to need to write that on, figure out what the requirements are for the hardware, put all of it together and it will just work. Right. And it was, um, that was our imagining the future. Um, and then it was, um, what do we need to do to get us to the point where we can just do that, where rather than, somebody picks a hardware platform and you then try and shoehorn the software into it to do something. You start from the problem, work down, and then the hardware and software and how they come together is kind of the smaller part of the problem. It's actually solving the problem, um, you know, in the first place that takes the majority of your time. And so for me, software defined is all about um, hardware platforms supporting standard operating systems that export standard middleware frameworks so that you can actually write your uh, the application that that solves your problem on a PC right whether it's um, arm based or not shouldn't matter you can test it to make sure that it generally does what you want and you can then pick a form factor of hardware that best suits your um, the needs of, of the application that you're writing, deploy it, and it will just work. And so software defined is all about sort of breaking that hard coupling between um, the, the, the software application that you're writing and a piece of hardware that's, that's designed specifically for it, so that you end up 
with a much wider choice of hardware platforms from the breadth of the ARM partnership, right? Because the ARM partnership builds hardware of all different shapes, sizes, power, performance, thermal envelopes. Um, needing, uh, being able to choose at a later point in the design cycle exactly what you need once you know what the requirements are from the software rather than having constraints imposed on you from the hardware up. Um, so let's pull the lens back a little bit and talk a bit more broadly about the world developers are working in right now. Um, and I'm going to start this discussion off by giving you another pick three question. So in your opinion, give us the three biggest pain points or challenges that software developers face right now. That's a really, that's a really interesting one. It, and it really depends what type of software developer you are. Right. There are when people talk about software developers, you immediately think of application developers writing something that goes into an app store, whether it's um, whether it's something for iOS, whether it's something for Android, whether it's something for Windows. Um, and there are an awful lot of software developers out there um, that work in that kind of environment. So one of the pain points for those folks is, you know, a lot of the applications that are written today have to work across multiple operating systems, across multiple architectures. And so how does that software developer get optimal performance out of the hardware platform that their app is going to be running on without knowing what that hardware platform is going to be because the apps are, are portable between architectures, between operating systems. So that's one. Um, bring up of new hardware is always a pain point, right? Um, we've got a, there are a lot of software developers out there that are working on um, uh, firmware and um, drivers for operating systems like Linux, where their work is is staying in house, um, and, where, and they're spending a lot of time maintaining the software that they've written, rather than pushing the software that they've written upstream so that it's maintained with the upstreams. So they're maintaining old versions of software so that they can do security and feature updates rather than working with the latest and greatest software because there isn't this focus on getting software support for the hardware that they're building into the upstreams. So that was two. And then three, IoT scale out. Right. So in the world of IoT, it's actually quite easy to build an IoT device. One of the problems, one of the biggest problems then is actually how you take that IoT device to market and maintain that device for the lifetime of that of that product. Because people expect technology to be constantly updated, the features to evolve, um, uh, you know, for the lifetime of that product. So you, when you build a, a bolt a smart camera onto the side of your house, you expect it to work for at least 10 years. The warranty may only be two or three but you expect the thing to be there for 10 years and you expect the application experience on your smartphone to evolve so that it doesn't look like it's a 10 year old thing. And so in the world of IoT is how do you go from product design and implementation to actually scale out and maintenance in a cost effective and maintainable way? 
Yeah, I think those are three really good challenges. Uh, and it looks like the part of one of those challenges um, is making that choice between having portability um, and not falling into the lowest common denominator trap so that you're going to make the most of the hardware that's available to you um, while also having something that, that's portable um, and that, that's uh, scalable. Yes, absolutely. And there's a there's a bunch of um, there's a bunch of talks at Dev Summit um, around um, IoT DevOps and how you can use virtual hardware uh, um, as as part of your CI/CD pipelines, as part of your development and validation flows. So, it's, so if you're in the IoT space, that's worth looking at. Um, uh, but yeah, that it it's a big problem. Um, it goes back to what we said right at the beginning um, about um, bits of technology that um, I'm not over the moon with. And it's it's the thing that you buy that has bugs in it where the and the bugs are never fixed because there's no update associated with it. You know, if you buy something and there are problems, you report the problems and the problems get fixed like you would see with a, you know, a smartphone, that smartphone model where the experience continually evolves. It's not an irritant, you know, it gets fixed. OK, that's not a problem anymore. But um, but if it's just a thing that's connected, that's performing a function that's not working particularly well, you're not going to keep that very long and you're probably not going to go back to where you bought that. You'll buy something else. So those three challenges you outlined, um, how is ARM addressing those or how will ARM address those? So we've got... Um, We've got a project running inside of ARM at the moment, actually looking at exactly that, mostly focusing on um, scientific maths. Um, uh, so how do we how do we upgrade the libraries that developers are actually using so that it selects the right piece of hardware um, on, on the particular device that it's running on? Um, th that'll be showing um, results in the coming months um, and quarters. And it's something that we'll probably be talking about more um, at um, upcoming events, you know, actually where app developers are kind of hanging out. Um, so there'll be there'll be more on that one um, going forward. Um, the uh, the updatability of IoT devices, there's a bunch of um, of work going on in inside ARM around ARM virtual hardware, but there's also a bunch of work that we're doing on standardization standardization of apis that you use on iot devices and actually providing common firmware in some of the um, the common iot distributions um, so that there's more available from the upstream um, in the iot space so that there's less code that the developer actually has to write so we're we're providing sort of um we're trying to provide more software um, in a way that can be updated um, regularly to fix problems and security holes so that people that are building devices can actually spend more time on devices and updating the software that's running on those devices. I've done this in a different order. Um, the third one, um, working in the upstream, that's something that we're working really closely with our partners at Lenaro about. Um, they've um, for many years, they've been helping um, technology companies switch from the mode where everything is kept in-house to the mode where 
you start to work upstream, you start to unbranch yourself and get onto the latest versions of the kernels. So it's not just an ARM an ARM only thing there, it's Lunaro and Lunaro members. Um, there's a there's a bunch of cool stuff that they're doing either in the um, the, the membership working groups or through the services uh, group that they've got. There's a lot going on, clearly. Um, but what, in your opinion, are the most innovative things happening in the software development space? Has there been anything recently or any set of things that's caught your attention and made you go, wow? Um, yeah, so so for me, um, it's the um, it's the increasing use of machine learning everywhere. Um, you know, we used, when I started um, my career nearly three decades ago, um, it was a uh, the, the artificial intelligence thing was a thing of the future. It was kind of a wow thing. Research groups were working on it, but you know the um, the ability to use some of these um, machine learning frameworks to, to do you know, image analysis or pattern detection, I think is really, um, really creating new strands of technology which are really moving things forward at a pace that I wouldn't have imagined 30 years ago when I, when I was looking at starting out in this, in this business. And maybe can you tell me a bit about how ARM is doing uh, work in AI? Uh, to support that the kind of innovation you're talking about, there are many things that that we're doing, but I I think the um, the bit that um, that I'm most interested in is that we are providing support for the ARM instruction set in a number of the key frameworks that support machine learning. Right, so actually um, landing things like TensorFlow on ARM hardware so it's making optimal use of the capabilities of the hardware and so it's so we're not really doing the things up the stack we're not creating the applications for it what we're really doing is the plumbing to ensure that the machine learning frameworks can make optimal use of our hardware and then we get out of the way right let the people that are building applications with this stuff do their magic with the tools that we've provided for them We'll wrap up with a one ARM-specific question and then one Mark-specific question. So the ARM question is, what excites you most about software and ARM's role in, the, in software? Um, and anything that you want to call out in terms of what's exciting that's, uh, that's coming up? And it goes back to the breadth of where, we, where ARM is. That's the bit that really excites me. Um, my role is actually quite challenging because I'm expected to know a small amount about a very, very wide space. And so for me, when somebody comes up with the, the new buzzword that I don't know that I have to Google to figure out what it is, and then being able to quickly figure out what the attributes of that thing actually are, right? That's an intellectual challenge that many people in ARM have to, have to um, have to deal with on a daily if not hourly basis basically because arm technology is used everywhere where compute happens these days and so there's going to be a software engineer trying to do something that we've never heard of that created a um, a new sub segment that we've never heard of it comes up what capabilities do they need 
from the architecture can we can we support it with what we do today does it need extensions how do we deal with it so that's the thing that i think really excites me because the the pace and breadth of technology these days that arm is getting involved in is just mind-blowing i really appreciate all of your insights today and i'm now recapturing the feeling i had when i first fired up my apple IIe back in 1981 and played my first game on it and thought wow software can do that so I look forward to the future you've described. And speaking of the more immediate future, we look forward to bringing you further glimpses of it soon in the next episode of Arm Viewpoints. Thanks for listening today.